If you have it, say amen. Exodus 25, begin with verse 1. Okay, we've been studying the tabernacle. We're going to continue that today. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let me read this. Right, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shite of wood all for the light, the spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy today. We ask that your will would be done in this service. Father, we thank you for your word. You are a great God. You're a great King. We thank you, Jesus, for living inside of us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask, God, that you would inspire us today, Lord, that you speak to us, God, through your word, and we just give you all the glory and all the honor today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, in Jesus' name, you may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, Brother Mark's going to read a few scriptures for me, beginning with the book of Hebrews, so we can show you that this is a type and a shadow of that which was to come in Jesus Christ. Okay, Brother Mark, go ahead. Hebrews 8 and verse 5. If you'd like to turn there uh, and read along with him, you may. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Okay. Bible tells us it's going to be a shadow. That's a reflection. Y'all understand that, right? It is a reflection. So you can see the shadows uh, from light. And where do the shadows come from? They come from the object. So there's a reality behind the shadows. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 there that it's a shadow or it's a reflection of that which is to come. But it's not the reality. It's a shadow. It's a reflection, right? So the Bible tells me this tabernacle here is a reflection of a reality. Where is this uh, reflection or this shadow coming from? Who is producing the light, number one? Well, God is light, right? God is light, so God is the one that is producing the light. What is the object that is the light's hitting? It's the tabernacle. We saw this in the book of Revelation, remember? Everything that we see in this tabernacle is in heaven. Okay, so the glory of God's shining through that that is in heaven, and it's, it's coming upon this earth in this shadow or this type right here. But ultimately, what is the reality of the shadow? The Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Okay, so the, glo the glory of God or the light of God is shining on and through Jesus Christ and gives us this reflection right here. Now, when Jesus comes, that means He is the reality of this. So what you have is a snapshot of the Lord Jesus Christ in the tabernacle. Okay? Mark, go ahead. This is Hebrews 9, verse 9. Which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, that could not make Him that did service perfect, 
as pertaining to the conscience. Okay, so the Bible tells us there it was a figure. That means it was a sketch. It was an outline. Say with me a sketch. Okay, next verse, uh, 10.1. Hebrews 10.1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Okay, so again, it was a, a shadow of what? Things to come. Say things to come. Now what the law, read that again, so I want them to hear this. Okay, brother, you would. Okay, I want, I want you to listen to what the law could do. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. All right, so they could not become perfect under the law. Is that correct? Because why? They just had the shadow. But we've got the reality of those shadows today in Jesus Christ. So we can be made perfect through His Word. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 46 and 47 Brother Mark's going to read to you these verses. Howbeit that that was not first which is spiritual. Okay, so that which was first is not spiritual. Do you see that? It wasn't spiritual. It was what? Go ahead. But that which is natural. Natural. So the natural preceded the spiritual, and that's the way it is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the natural. New Testament is the spiritual that it's pointing to. Do you understand that? So the natural always precedes the spiritual in the Word of God. This is the natural tabernacle pointing to the spiritual tabernacle, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, he's going to read Acts 7.44 for you. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. In the wilderness. As he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion. Say the fashion. That, right. that, that he had seen. All right. That he had seen. The fashion that he had seen. Now, fashion comes from the Greek word, which means a type. Say a type. So, and then what is the fulfillment of the type? That's correct, but the, the word, the opposite of the type would be the anti-type. Okay, so when you say type, then you have to have a fulfillment of the type. Every type in the Bible has a fulfillment to it, which would be called the anti-type. Okay, I'm sure you all have seen notary public seals. Okay, well then what you have in the seal, the, the, the thing that makes the imprint is the type. And the thing that, that is on the document that is left behind by that imprint is the antitype. And it is exactly, if you were to look at the, the tool that makes the imprint or the stamp that makes the imprint, look at it and then look at what it left, it'd be the exact duplicate. It is exact. It is perfectly the same. You see that. So this tabernacle is the type. Jesus Christ is the antitype. And he's exactly the same that this is pointing to in every area and every detail. Isn't God awesome? Okay, Brother Mark, I'm going to give you another verse if you would please. Flip over to Hebrews 9.23.
and read this. I don't think I gave that to you, but let's read this. Hebrews 9, 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. Say the pattern. The pattern is a copy. It's a copy. Do you understand that? Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, who's the prototype? Jesus Christ. He is the reality. The genotype is the pattern that is left behind. How many of you ladies so? How many of y'all get patterns and put a pattern down on that? And then you cut that pattern out. Okay, the pattern is the prototype. The pattern that's placed on the garment. And what you cut out is the genotype. So when it says right here that it's a pattern, it is a copy, but it's not the prototype, it's the genotype. Jesus is the prototype. He is the pattern. So when I look at that, I am looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but I am looking at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every detail, as I said, is going to be fulfilled by the Lord and by His church. So it's an awesome, awesome study, as you have seen. Okay, let me read uh, chapter 25, Exodus verse 1 again to you. And we've already looked in, last week, we saw what was there in the tabernacle. We went through all the different outer enclosures. We went through the tabernacle structure itself, the coverings, the pillars, the, all these various things that were in the tabernacle so you would know what was there. Now we want to explain what they mean. Okay, so chapter 25, verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willing with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. This is the offering which ye shall take of them. Say gold. Okay? Every time you see gold in this tabernacle, it's going to be pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not just a man. Do you understand this tabernacle right here? We're speaking about His first coming. It's speaking about His humiliation. It's not so much speaking about His second coming, although there are some types about His second coming. This is about His first coming. Now, the temple, another structure in the Bible, dwelling place of God, was about His second coming. Okay? Now, this first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have gold all the way through this tabernacle. Who's the tabernacle? John 1.14 said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. So the word dwelt there means tabernacle. So Jesus is the tabernacle. And He is the gold in the tabernacle. He is deity. Not just humanity, but He's deity. Now, the wood in the tabernacle, the acacia wood, is his humanity. So he has a dual nature. So we have the, the, the type, and then we have the anti-type, and they're exactly identical. So that Jesus is not second person. He is God come in the flesh. He is the gold of the tabernacle. He is the acacia wood of the tabernacle, the incorruptible humanity of Jesus Christ. You see that? Now, gold is something that man cannot make themselves. Gold is something that God makes. Okay? So then we see that gold is a perfect type of deity here, uh, speaking of the godness of Jesus. Now, he wasn't just, 
He didn't just have the attributes of God. He didn't just have the divine nature. He, he was God. There's some people say, well, he, had a, he was divine. Well, he was more than divine. Because each one of us today have a divine nature in us. Okay, that means that I have the Spirit of God in me and the divine nature has to do with the attributes of God, but I'm not God. So you can have the divine nature and not be God. But Jesus was more than divine. He was deity. Theos, T-H-E-O-S. He was very God of very God. Not just divine, He was divine because if He was God, then He had to be divine because He had the attributes of God. He had the power of God. Holiness of God, the wisdom of God, all these things. But He was more than divine. He was deity. Okay, so I have the divine nature, but I am not God. That's the difference. And I've got the Spirit of God in me, but I am not God. God Jesus Christ was God. He's the goal. Okay, you with me there? All right. Uh, Colossians 2 will give you uh, one verse for that. Now, let me, let's read the next thing. Say, and silver. The silver, every time you read in... Uh, Brother Mark, while I'm talking, if you'll get with me, First Peter, chapter 1, and about verse 18. Okay, say silver. Silver is always speaking to you of redemption. Redemption. Say redemption. We are purchased. Purchased. That's what the term redemption means. We have been bought back. We have been purchased from sin and from the devil because we fell in the garden, right? Okay, Brother Mark, can you read that? For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. As silver and gold. Go ahead. From your vain conversations. From your vain conversations. Received by tradition. Received by traditions. From your fathers. From your fathers. But what by what? But with the precious blood of Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ. So what is our redemption now? The blood of Jesus Christ. But it's, see, Peter, when he speaks, is always on the, with the background of the Old Testament. We're not redeemed with silver and gold. But what are we redeemed by? The precious blood. So the silver, we have the gold, the deity of Christ. The silver represents his redemption. So we have then the, the type, the silver, and the anti-type, the fulfillment of the type, the blood of Jesus Christ. You see that? So every time you see gold, you're going to that's deity. Think in your mind, that's the godness of Jesus. When you see the silver, think about that's the redemption of Jesus. That's the blood of Jesus. That's His atonement for my sin. Okay? Next thing. The Scripture tells us, and brass, say brass. And we'll get into more detail in these, but I just want to read very quickly and tell you what these, these are. Brass is judgment. Jesus standing in the book of Revelation, His feet were as the feet of brass, standing in the fire. All right, what's He doing? He's there judging the church. He's going to come back and judge. We will develop this in greater detail as we go along here. But brass speaks of judgment. So everything I see in this tabernacle is going to talk to me about the judgment of God okay praise the Lord let's keep reading the Bible then tells us and blue say blue well this came from shellfish 
And we shared this with you before that for almost 2,000 years, this particular shellfish had disappeared uh, from the land of Israel. But in recent days, recent history, this shellfish that produces the blue dye has now migrated back into the Middle East. And a Jewish, Jewish people believe that is a sign of the second coming, well, of the coming of the Lord. For us, it's the second coming. But for them, it's His first coming. Because it's just now showed back up on the scene. Now, uh, they didn't really know how to extract the dye from that shellfish either. About 100 years after the temple was destroyed, they lost the ability to do that. But guess what? In modern days, now they know how to extract the dye from the shellfish to produce this beautiful blue color that was in the tabernacle. So we're in the last, they believe we're in the last days. They believe that this is appointed to the coming of the Lord. They look for Him to come the first time. We're looking for Him to come the second time. All right, say blue. The shellfish. Blue, what does that speak to you of? When you think of blue, what do you think about? The sky, the heavens, the blue. So He is Lord from heaven. He's the Lord of heaven. Amen? He's the Lord from heaven. So this speaks again uh, to His deity. Praise God. Next thing the Bible talks about, uh, keep reading, it says, and purple, say purple. This particular dye was extracted from the throat of the shellfish. Speaks to us of his royalty. He is king of kings and lord of lords. So every time you see the purple, you're going to see royalty. Now, keep reading, the Bible tells us, and scarlet. Well, here's another dye. Where does that come from? It comes from the red grub worm, sometimes called the coccus. And they get that worm and they smash that worm, and a lot of that worm flows, producing this beautiful, beautiful dye. And many times it was used to uh, make the color in king's garments. Oh, I remember the psalmist David said, I am a worm and no man. That was a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. He became this red worm this scarlet worm, this red grub worm, and was crushed. His blood was shed for us. So it speaks to us of the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for us. The scarlet color. Now the purple is interesting because the purple is made up of blue and scarlet. So it speaks to us of His deity and it speaks of His humanity which was crushed by the Spirit of God and became the sacrifice for our sins. Now I'm going very slow. You can write notes. And fine linen, say fine linen. This is not, this doesn't come from animals. This comes from a, the vegetable kingdom. That's very interesting to me. Because the high priest could not put on wool. Because the wool has animal fat in it. And it will cause you to sweat. Pointing back to sin. Okay, working and laboring for a living, etc., so it points to sin. The high priest, the priest could not wear these particular garments made out of wool or made out of animals' materials the anim, from the animal kingdom. They were made out of linen from the plant kingdom. So they would not sweat. They would not perspire. Okay? Praise the Lord. Say fine linen. Beautiful woven fine linen. Righteousness. Say righteousness. Holiness is what the linen speaks of. Righteousness and holiness. 
and it was beautifully woven together. It was evenly woven together so that Jesus Christ's life was even, it was perfect, and it was pure as it was white. Okay. Scripture then tells us also goat's hair. Say goat's hair. Now, I believe this goat's hair was, was black. You see it white uh, the second later there up off the tabernacle structure. But I believe it was, it was black. So the goat hair, well, hey, <laughs> the goat has to lose its hair in order for this uh, sacrifice to be made. Correct? So what does this goat hair speak to you of? Sacrifice. Now, what did, what did they do with the, on the Day of Atonement? They took a goat, they killed this goat for what? To atone for the nation. So the goat's hair speaks to us of a sin offering. Remember the scapegoat? There was one goat that was killed. The scapegoat was led out of the camp. Speaks to us of the sin offering on the Day of Atonement. So say goat's hair. I believe it was black. Just like your sin is in my sin. Okay, next thing. Rams, skins, dyed red. What do they represent? Well, they represent substitute. He became a substitute for us. Remember Abraham, when he was going to go offer up Isaac to be a sacrifice unto God, the Bible said there was a ram caught over in the thicket by its horns. And that ram became the substitute for Isaac. So these ram skins dyed red speaks to us of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and me. He died in your place. He died in my place. He was the ram caught in the thicket. He was the ram that was caught up in the sins of the people and nailed on the cross for us. He fulfilled the type of Abraham's ram. Okay. Next thing it tells us that is there, there's badger skins. Now, if you really want to study this in depth to find out what these badger skins are, uh, Jacinius, Hebrew lexicon, will tell you that it, number one, could be a porpoise skin. could be a dolphin skin. Also, it could be a deer skin of some kind. And the King James uh, translators translated badger skins. That was the outside covering there. Well, what does that speak of? Well, if you look at this tabernacle right here, remember it's a snapshot of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that He is and everything that He's done for us. And this badger skin would have been on the outside of the tabernacle and it did not look pretty. In fact, it looked pretty ugly. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 that when you looked at Jesus Christ, there was no beauty that you would desire Him. So outwardly, His physical appearance, there was nothing really beautiful about His outward appearance. It was what was on the inside of him that was beautiful. I'm talking about his, his, his humanity was beautiful. His deity was beautiful. But his appearance was not beautiful. All that beautiful, you know. Praise God. They, some people have this idea that Jesus walked around with a halo over his head. Well, no, that goes back to paganism. That's sun worship. So we have here then the badger skin speak of his outward humanity, his appearance. Next thing the Bible tells us. And Shittim wood, or this is acacia wood, also called everlasting wood, speaks of his incorruptible humanity, his sinless humanity. And when he died, he was put in a tomb, but he wasn't left there. He rose again from the dead bodily. So it speaks of his humanity. Say his humanity. Now, where do you get wood? Tree. 
tree grows up, takes its, its nourishment from the earth, correct? But in order to get wood from that tree, you've got to cut that tree down. It's got to die, and then you make wood out of it. So Jesus Christ came into this world. He was alive. As a man, he received a certain amount of nourishment from this earth, but then he was cut down. Amen. Cut down. And just like they took the wood and cut it down for Noah's ark, Jesus Christ became Noah's ark. And just like they took the wood and cut it down to make this tabernacle, this acacia wood, he was cut down to be a sanctuary that I, he says, that I, and make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So now the cut down Savior has become our sanctuary. Okay. Verse 6 says, oil for the light. Say, oil for the light. What does the oil represent? There you go. The Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the living God. Sometimes you're going to hear it mingle, being mingled together with other things. That's a type of being filled with the, the, the Spirit of God. The believer being born of the Spirit. You will hear at times being poured upon certain things. That has to do with anointing for service. Praise God. But Jesus Christ was the oil. He was the Holy Ghost come in bodily form. God come in the flesh. All right? All for the light. Now, First John tells me who the light is. God is the light. God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, he's, he must be God then. Because First John says that God is light. All right? So then we say... Uh, Spices for the anointing oil. Say spices. Oh, don't you know he's altogether lovely. All these spices talk about his attributes, his, his love, his mercy, his grace, his holiness. Beautiful things of Jesus Christ. Completely fulfill these. All the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance against such there is no law. All of those beautiful uh, what does it say? Sweet uh, spices were in Jesus Christ. When you looked at him, he is the spices of the Old Testament. And then it goes on and tells you, and for sweet incense, sweet incense, say sweet incense. This is his holy life being offered up to God, blameless, without sin, pure, holy, undefiled, as the book of Hebrews says, separate from sinners. But yet he, he came. And became sin for us. Alright. I pray that some of y'all don't call me up and say, Hey pastor, what did that mean? You don't have, you don't, it's not important enough for you to write down, don't call me. <laughs> now the Bible tells us also here, this sweet incense, that it's going to go up. What are they going to do with that? They're going to put it on this altar of incense. And it's going to go up before God. So what does it speak of? Prayer and worship and praise going up before God. Amen. Next thing, number seven, the onyx stones. Say the onyx stones. Now these were the stones that were going to be set in the breastplate of the high priest. Every one of those stones had a different color with a different name upon it. Amen. Jesus Christ fulfilled all those stones, what they represent. And I don't have time to tell you every one of them today. That's a totally different study. That's the high priest study. We'll try to do that when we get to the high priest. 
They're going to place them in the ephod and in the breastplate. And verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Have you noticed that every kingdom in this world has contributed to this tabernacle? Whenever man fell in the garden, what happened? The whole universe was affected by the fall of man. And now the whole universe in this tabernacle is going to contribute to the redemption of man. Or cooperate with the redemption of man. So that when Jesus Christ fulfills all of these various types and shadows here, the whole universe is going to be affected by the redemption that took place in Him. We have the animal kingdom contributing to it. We have the vegetable kingdom contributing to it. We have the mineral kingdom contributing to it. We have humanity, the ones that are actually bringing the offering. So every kingdom is going to experience or be affected by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And every one of them cooperated with this. Very interesting thing. As we look at the life of Jesus Christ, I'll give you a few verses here right down. Uh, Exodus 19 and verse 1 and Numbers 9 and verse 1. This will give you a time frame. Now this tabernacle, it is believed to have taken nine months to erect it. Again, we have the type. Jesus is the anti-type. And where was he for nine months? He was in the virgin womb of Mary. And just like it took nine months to erect this tabernacle, it took Mary nine months for the body, not the deity, but the humanity of Jesus Christ to be developed in which God would dwell, in which God lived nine months. What's very interesting, one, one writer, one authority says that this tabernacle was used less than 35 years. Well, Jesus Christ came the first time and He lived less than 35 years. I'm telling you a perfect imprint here. Right? So God is an awesome God. So God's tabernacle. He is God's tabernacle. Hallelujah. So that's some of the types, that's some of the meanings that we'll be looking at. Now let's go over to Numbers 2 and we're going to talk about the order of the camp. Numbers chapter 2, in verse 1. Okay, Numbers chapter 2, this gives us the order of the encampment around this tabernacle. Now notice where the tabernacle is. It's in the center of everything. Jesus Christ has to be number one in our life. He cannot be number two. In fact, He will not be number two. He, he has preeminence, which means He has first place. If He has first place, that means He can't be the second person. <laughs> he is the preeminent one. He is first place always. Okay? Here we have the tabernacle right in the center of everything. The center of the encampment, the center of the outer enclosure. He is the center of everything. And right there, the Ark of the Covenant, the glory cloud of God Himself, King of Kings, is seen right there over that tabernacle. He is the center. And whenever God's Spirit moved, when there's a kind of cloud, glory cloud in the day, and a, a cloud in the day, and a pillar of fire by night, when it moved, everybody, it's camp. Right? 
Got ready? And they followed that glory cloud. Spirit of God. It's a beautiful picture of a sheik. You know, because a sheik is surrounded by his, his, his family, etc., his, his people. And as the sheik would begin to journey, he would go a certain distance. You know what he'd do? He'd take his sword, he'd drive it into the dust of the earth. And that meant break camp or set up camp, everybody, because we're going to stay right here. And the sheikh, I say sheikh, we're used to the word sheikh. It's really a sheikh. You know what a sheikh is, right? A prince in the Middle East. This sheikh, when he, as I said, when he put that spear in the ground, he said, set up camp. This is where we're going to dwell. And the sheikh lived in the center of the camp. He is the sheikh. He's the prince of peace. And every time he moved, they would pull, okay, then the sheikh would go and pull the spear up, time to move. And they would say, oh, time to move. And they'd follow that sheikh wherever he went. So Israel, whenever he gets ready to move, they pull up camp when he gets ready to stop he's the sheikh that stops there in the desert right there and they put up camp there and they follow him whithersoever he goes go with he has got to be the center of your life he's got he has to be everything he has to be your lord see people today cry about oh i have my rights well if you're a a child of God, you no longer have your rights, my friend. Because you'll see that tonight when we preach the Word. You'll see that. See, you don't have a right. He's the one that tells you everything. He's the one that must be the center of your life. See, He must be Lord of all. Or He won't be Lord at all. And I'm asking you today if everything you do, if you pray about it. Because, I mean, he's got to be center. He's got to be Lord. Oh, I wish, I'd, I'd love to preach my message right now that I'm going to preach tonight. But I think I'll wait. So I'll have something to say tonight, you know. But he has to be everything. And he is everything. So there he is. He's in the center of everything. And we have these different, notice this camp, the way it's set up. It's set up in the shape of a cross. So as you, uh, if you were to watch these people as they were camped in the desert there, you could fly over them and see in the shape of a cross, type, antitype. All point to Calvary and His humiliation. Now notice it has a desert floor in it. Wonder why God would, uh, would have a tent here with a, with a desert floor dirt. So that you and I never get our eyes on this world for satisfaction. He's telling you that you have to always be looking up for satisfaction. A lot of people try. They try to find satisfaction in this present world. And they look down there and there's the dirt and there's the desert sand. God said, if you want satisfaction, lift up your eyes. The tabernacle had a, wart, a dirt floor. Speaking of the fall of man. The serpent will eat the dust of the ground. So it speaks of sin, speaks of the fall of man. You won't ever be satisfied by living for this world. You'll only be satisfied by living for the King of kings and Lord of lords. The temple, though, was different. The temple had a floor in it. That's about His second coming. Amen? 
Well, I'm not going to get into that, but that's his second coming. Primarily, specifically, has some types about his first coming. But again, where is he located? He's in the center of everything. Is he in the center of your life today? <laughs> Before you made a major decision, did you go to God with it? Or did you just say, I'll just do it myself? I want to tell you something. Most of the time, things that we do ourselves end up being a, a terrible mistake. We just spend a bunch of money. I told my wife, I said, if I ever get a, a sickness that is unto death, just don't take me to the doctor. I'm going to trust God or die one. Don't take me to the doctor and I'll spend $180,000 or $200,000 for them to just examine me and practice on me. I don't want that. I'm not preaching against doctors today. I'm telling you about myself. Now, you get sick and you get a terminal disease and you want them to go cut on you and you want them to, you know, you want to spend two, or $300,000 on a cancer, go right ahead, but not me. I've already made up my mind. I've already talked to God about this. Just, just put me in my room or put me in a pulpit and I'll just die in the pulpit or die in my room somewhere. I know what I'm talking about. I, one of my best friends, Brother Dice, died from cancer. And they tried to fight it and spent thousands of dollars. He told me on the telephone, he said, Brother Carter, he said, I've just told the doctor that I don't want any more medication. I'm just going to have quality of life instead of quantity of life. And I'm going to die and go be with the Lord if that's his will. You see, most people are so focused on this present world. And you make more mistakes by being focused on this present world than you would if you just trust God. Now, if God tells you to go to the doctor, go. By all means. But, it, but you got to hear from God on those things is my point. Most people, oh, God, oh, my kid's sick. Take him to the doctor. Miss church, miss a move of God, miss a miracle too. I'm telling you, God has to be the center of your life in everything. People want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. They want a Savior, but they don't want somebody telling them what to do. And as long as Jesus doesn't require anything of them, as long as He doesn't tell them how to live or what to do, oh, yeah, I'll live for you, Jesus. See, that's American Christianity. I, I tell you what, I get really fed up with American Christianity. I really do. I, I, I don't know anything else than American Christianity, but something in my spirit tells me there's something wrong with America. Because Jesus is not the Lord of people's lives. He, he, they claim Him as Savior, but they don't claim Him as Lord. But He's got to be the center, and He's encamped around by the people here. All right, God's awesome. Now, Numbers 2, as we look at Numbers 2, then we see uh, in verse 1, the order of the camp. Okay? And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard. Say standard. So we know they had standards. They had banners that they lifted high. We must have standards. We must have biblical standards. We must have holiness. We must lift it high so everybody can see it to glorify the Lord. So we know they had standards. They had these banners that they would... They would lift high everywhere they went. Okay, you know what a banner is, right? Now it says there, uh, let me read it again, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard. Say his own standard. So everybody, uh, the, the groups had different standards 
that they were born under. Okay? And you never crossed over from one banner to another banner in your life. When you were born under that standard, if you were of the tribe of Judah, you, you were under that particular banner, the banner with the lion on it. Okay? You never crossed over to the banner of Dan, which would have been the eagle. Never would have done that. You, everything you did, you did under one particular standard. Okay? You worshipped under that standard. You worked under that standard. You went to war under that standard. Everything you did was under that particular banner. You see that? Say his own banner. Okay, the Bible continues then. It tells us, uh, see, God's a God of order. See, people today want to do it their way. You know, they sing that song, I did it my way. Well, yeah, you can do it your way. You're going to go to hell, my friend. That's all there is to it. You don't do it your way. You do it God's way. I don't do it my way. I do it God's way. There is a standard. There is a pattern. There is a, a will of God in the Bible. There is commandments that we must observe. Well, we're under grace. That's right. That means you ought to live better than you did under the law. By the power of God in your life. See that? So there's a standard that we have to be under. Okay. And it tells us. Uh, with the ensign of their father's house. Say the ensign. Okay, well, I don't know what the ensigns were. But I know Jesus in the book of Isaiah is called an ensign unto the people. And to him shall the people be gathered together. He's a rallying point. He's a place where you gather together to worship, to work, and to war in the spirit. He's our rallying point. He is the ensign. He's the banner. The Bible doesn't tell me what these ensigns were, but Hebrew encyclopedias tell us what they were. Okay? Now, first of all, let me give you the encampment. If you read these, the Bible says in verse uh, 3, On the east side toward the rising of the sun shall they of the center of the camp of who? Judah. Pitched throughout their armies, and Nashon, the son of Aminadab, shall be the captain of the children of Judah. So over Nashon's tent would be this standard that would be lifted up high. And on that standard, Hebrew encyclopedias will tell you that there was a beautiful gold lion on the back of a scarlet field of color. And this banner was lifted high above Nashon, the captain of Judah, lifted up so everybody could see it everywhere. With me? Okay, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Say the line. Well, then the Bible talks about, you keep reading, and it tells us all these various tribes and the way that they were positioned. So let me just give them to you without reading all the scriptures, okay? The line banner, the east. This would be the eastern side. You with me? Okay. Right in front of the tent, the store, there would be who? Moses. Say Moses. Moses along with Aaron and his sons right in front of the door and then outside of them there would be three tribes say with me Judah Issachar and Zebulon that's on the eastern side all all moving under the banner of the lion hallelujah Judah meaning what praise see in every one of these tribes the names of every one of these tribes mean something Judah means praise. 
Okay, isn't it interesting that it's right in front of the door, the gate. The only way you get in the presence of God is worship. If you want to get in the presence of God, you're going to have to go through Judah. You're going to have to go through praise. Amen. So they would be all under this banner, this beautiful banner, gold line on the back of scarlet, a scarlet field. Beautiful. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you a little, uh, okay, on the, uh, the south side, say the south side, would have been Gad, say Gad, Reuben, and Simeon. That's over here. That's on the outer circumference of the camp. Now, on the inside of that camp, you would have had the Kohathites. Say the Kohathites. Let me just do this first. Moses, Aaron, his sons, Kohathites. You go over on the back side, you'd have the Gershonites. And over here, you'd have the Mirarites. Now, these are all sons of Levi. The sons of Levi did the work of tearing down the tabernacle, moving the tabernacle, laboring there in the tabernacle. Are you with me? Okay. But on the outside of them, then you'd have Judah, Issachar, and who else? Zebulon. Thank you. On the south side, you have Gad, Reuben, and Simeon. Now, they also flew under a banner. Now, Reuben is the firstborn. What do you think that his banner would be? He's the head. In these other two tribes here was the head of a man. Say the head of a man. On gold. Say on gold. Now I don't know if, he, if the man was gold or not, but I know that he was on gold. See, there's, as far as the colors go, you might want to do some deeper research on this because there's some variances. Okay? But it's a beautiful banner lifted up with the head of a man on that thing. And they worshipped and they worked and they went to war under that banner and they never came over under the banner of the lion. They stayed under their banner. Praise God. And that was on the south side. Then over on the, the west side, which is back here, back the far back of the tabernacle, you had Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin in the west. Okay? Now let me read you a prophecy about, uh, that Moses gave concerning Joseph. And Manasseh and Ephraim is the sons of Joseph, correct? All right? This is a prophecy that was given from Moses. that says uh, that the glory of the first... The glory of this tribe, Joseph, is going to be the glory as of the firstborn of a bull. And that was a prophecy given concerning, that's Deuteronomy 33, 17. So what would you think the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin would have over it? The ox. They had the banner of the ox. With me? Are you with me here? Judah had the, the banner of a what? Lion. Well, isn't it interesting that Jacob, when he gave prophecy concerning his son, Judah, he said he's a lion's will. Okay? Are you all with me up to this point? So we have the head, we have the whelp, the lion's whelp, Judah. We have Reuben, the head, firstborn son. And we come over here and we see Manasseh, Ephraim, 
and Benjamin with the head of an ox fulfilling the prophecy of Jacob. And this, let me give this to you. This is in Genesis 49. Okay? Y'all with me up to this point? All right, on the north side, which would be over here, we had three other tribes that were divided. We had Asher, Dan, and Naphtali in the north. Now, this is very interesting to me because as you study Genesis 49, the prophecy that Jacob gives concerning his son Dan, he said, Dan is a serpent. So he should have been, this banner here should have been a serpent lifted up. They should have walked, worshipped, and went to war under the serpent banner. But there's the son of Dan, and let me give you this particular verse here. Flip over in the same chapter, Numbers 2. Uh, verse 25, the standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side by their armies, and the captain of the children of Dan shall be who? Ahazer, the son of Amishadeh. Boy, that's a name, isn't it? Praise God. All right, so this is one of the descendants of, of the tribe of Dan. Y'all see that? That particular man changed the symbol from a serpent. Should have been a serpent. That's why many people believe that the Antichrist is going to rise from the tribe of Dan or have the blood of Dan in him. But his son changed the symbol from a serpent because he didn't want to walk around under the banner of the serpent. So he changed it to the serpent eater, which is an eagle. They put an eagle on that. And this eagle was a beautiful gold eagle on the background of blue, a blue field. This is powerful. So what you have then is you have this beautiful orderly camp by God. God is in charge here. God is ruling here. And he says, this is the way I want you to live. And this is where I want you to live. And this is how I want you to live. And these are the banners that I want you to walk under, to worship under, and to war under. And you can't ever cross over in each other, under each other's banners. Amen. Remember in Ezekiel chapter 1, the Bible says that Ezekiel sees a vision of the glory of God. And he sees these cherubim. These, uh, and they're around the throne and ones and they've got the face of a man. They got the face, let me back up, face of a lion. They've got the face of a man. They've got the face of an ox. They've got the face of an eagle. Ooh. Say cherubim. Or cherubim, however you want to call it. Well, this is interesting. Well, the devil, when he fell, he entered into a serpent. See, but in, in the book of Revelation, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Revelation, we don't see a, a, a carabine with the face of a serpent upon him. Why? Because that carabine has been cast down or that carab, cherub has been cast out. So Ezekiel won't tell us about these carabine. They've got the face again of the lion, the ox, 
the man and the eagle. In the book of Revelation, we see Jesus Christ sitting upon the throne, and around His throne, those living creatures. And again, they're described as having the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. And they cry, Holy! 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 24 hours a day, they are ascribing to God, to Jesus, one throne, one God, Jesus sitting on that throne. And they are ascribing to Him, Holy! 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 That's one of the chief attributes of Jesus Christ, His holiness. And they're worshiping Him, and they are honoring His holiness. Wow, this is interesting. Because as I look at the prophecies of Jacob concerning his sons, and I look at a prophecy by Moses concerning Joseph, I see that these prophecies are being fulfilled in these encampments. And the Jewish people say that each one of these banners had one of the face of those cherubim upon it, the face of the lion, the face of the ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle, all lifted high on banners. Type, anti-type. Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The lion is the king of beasts. Jesus come from the tribe of Judah. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Matthew lifts up the banner in the gospel and says, He is the king. Mark comes along, writes the gospel for a totally different reason. Not presenting Jesus as king to the Jews as Matthew did, but presenting Jesus as the ox or the sacrifice or the suffering servant of who? Of the Lord. Fulfilled it. So Mark is the ox gospel. Lifting his banner high and saying, look at Jesus. And what you saw in the Old Testament before the gospels were ever written was, Jesus is the king, the lion, Matthew. Jesus is the servant, Mark. And who did he write it to? He wrote it to the Romans. Because the Romans, men, they were involved in service, you know. So they would be interested in a servant. And, and so Mark says, here's the perfect servant under the band of the ox. Next one would be Luke. Luke wrote his gospel. Why did Luke write his gospel? To present, present Jesus Christ as man. As the perfect man. As the son of man. You with me? As the last Adam. With me? And the Greeks was who he wrote to. And why would you write the Greeks to the Gospel of Luke? Because the Greeks were looking for the perfect man. They're, look, they're always striving for wisdom. Human wisdom. Human psychology. Come on, you with me? Looking for psychology. Perfect wisdom in, in the human realm. Looking for this perfect specimen of a man. Working out. Uh, training. Being involved in the Olympics. Always uh, involved in the human element of things. So Luke says, hey, you're looking for the perfect man. You're looking for perfect wisdom. Jesus is his name. And he get the Greeks' attention. Well, that's the banner of the man. He's, he's the firstborn son of God. And then we come to the last banner lifted high up there by Judah. And the banner... I'm not so, I'm sorry, not Judah, but the banner lifted high by Dan. The eagle banner. There's the eagle 
on a gold eagle on blue background in the Old Testament. And John picks up his pen and he writes about Jesus Christ and he says, He's not just a man. He's not just the Son of Man that Luke wrote about. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord from heaven. He is God. So when you study the Gospel of John, you know what? You're going to be finding out over and over who Jesus is in His deity. He's God. Praise God. Now it's very interesting that an eagle can look right up in the sun and not be blinded. So John took his pen and he wrote, looked into the glory of the face of Jesus Christ, said, you know what? He's not just the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. I'm going to present to you Jesus in His deity. I'm going to look right in the glory of the face of Jesus Christ and write it all down for you because I'm like the eagle that can look right directly into the sun. Jesus is the eagle. He is God. He's the Lord from heaven. So before the Gospels were ever written, we have it laid out right here for us. That Jesus would be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That He would be the suffering ox. That He would be the perfect man. But He would be more than just a man. He would be God when He came. And throughout eternity, when I get there, because I plan on being there, by the way. When I get there, I'm going to see those cherubim. They're cherubim there. Which are declaring all the facets of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to join in and I'm going to praise Him and I'm going to worship Him forever and ever. And it was given to us in a type and in a picture before this awesome Savior ever came into the world so that when He came into the world, you could say, there He is. There's the lion. There's the seed of David. He's going to rule the earth someday. You could point to him and say, there's the suffering servant of Jehovah that Isaiah preached about and prophesied about. He has come. He's going to be sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Redeem us from our sins. Oh, Luke says, look, here's the, hey, there's the son of man right there. There's the last Adam. The first Adam lost everything. But here comes the last Adam to restore everything that the first Adam lost in the fall. He's going to conquer death. He's going to conquer hell. He's going to conquer the grave. He's the one that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. High, sitting upon a throne. And the saints around him. They called him the everlasting father. That's him. Daniel said, I saw in the night vision one like the Son of Man coming and taking what? Out from the hand of the one that's sitting on the throne. Well, that's not a dual nature of Jesus Christ. I mean, not a two-person thing. It's a dual nature of Jesus Christ. He is Son of Man, and He is Son of God. He is the, the Son in His humanity, and He's the Father. He's the everlasting Father in His Spirit. See, what blows my mind is how Israel, His own people, could have missed him. When they had all these types. And an Israelite, when they approached the tabernacle, saw all these things. 
But yet when he came, they completely missed the fact that he was their Messiah, that he was not only a man, but he was God when he was going to come. He was going to be God. And they missed it. And they were religious. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But they missed it. How could they have missed it? Just like the church world as a whole today has missed the fact that Jesus Christ is not the second person. Jesus Christ is God the Father come in flesh. All you got to do is go back to the tabernacle. Go back to the ABCs of the Bible. Hallelujah. And you'll see it right there laid out for you. In beautiful picture what he would be. Isn't God good? And let me tell you something today. We're under a banner. He is the ensign. I said, he's the ensign. He's everything that that pointed to. The lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. He's all of that. And you know what? We have a responsibility, church. And you know what? We need to lift him high. We need to lift his banner high. We need to hold it up. And we need to proclaim to the world that he is the man. He is the God. He is the sacrifice. He is the king. Of our lives we need to lift that banner high and the interesting thing now though is that the blood has been shed for us and it's a blood-stained banner that we lift up high come on and because we lift up a blood-stained banner and proclaim who he is just like they couldn't cross from one banner to another banner the devil can't cross the blood of Jesus Christ when I start lifting up Jesus and I start telling you who he is, something starts happening on the inside of you. And the devil can't cross that banner. He can't come across the blood. Can you just see Israel walking, going to war with those banners lifted high? And worshiping and dancing before God singing the songs of Zion no wonder their enemies looked at him and said oh and we get afraid I would tell you that's what the devil does he is afraid of the church of the living God when we lift up Jesus he can't hang around God's so good. You know, I really can't. I don't know that I can. I haven't verified this this fact for myself, okay? But, so you'll have to do it. Don't come ask me where. I don't know. I'm still looking. But I have it by good authority that from Adam to the flood was the lion banner. Jesus Christ, give God praise. Put Adam, God, put Adam in the garden. And he was the king of the universe. He was the lion. Say the lion. Come on, God's good, isn't he? 
but he fell and he lost his kingship. So the Lord says, come on, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give you power to rule, give you authority to rule in this life. Do you understand? How, isn't God good? Hmm. And I also understand that from the flood to the law, some people believe that was a sacrificial time. That was the ox time. I don't know. Just think, I'm just giving you something to think about. Hallelujah. And from the law to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost was the man dispensation. But when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of the living God came inside of us to live in us. We are the eagle generation. And someday, we're going to fly to the heavens. Someday, there's going to be a rapture of the church. Someday, we're going up. We are the eagle generation. And we're lifting his banner high. And we're declaring who he is and what he's done. And we're working and we're worshiping and we're walking under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. Awesome. We have a responsibility to proclaim it to the world. And that's what they did in the Old Testament. Isn't God good? Well, all you have to do is go to the Old Testament. And there's a term that's used by God concerning the Lord Jesus. It's called the branch. And it's amazing to me that he's called the branch in four different ways. Let me give you the verses. Y'all want them? It all fits together. In Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. He is called the branch, the king. He's the branch and the king. He's the lion. Zechariah 6 and verse 12 He's called the branch, the man. <laughs> Zechariah 3 verse 8 He is called my branch, the servant. He's the servant. Say the servant. He was obedient unto death, humiliation of the cross, and gave us redemption by his blood. Are you here today? He is also called in Isaiah 4 and verse 2, the branch, the Lord. He's God. Are you here? Isaiah 40, verse 9. No wonder the prophet said, as a prophecy concerning John the Baptist, Behold your God! You want to know who this Messiah is? He's God. Behold your God. When did they behold Him? When He came in human form. Are you here? Let me give it to you again. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. The branch of the king. He's going to experience earthly glory and rule on the throne of David. Zechariah 6, 12, he's the branch of the man. He's the last Adam that restored everything the first Adam lost. He conquered death, fell in the grave. Thank you, Jesus. Zechariah 3, 8, he's the branch of the servant, obedient to death, 
humiliated, but purchased us from sin. Isn't that awesome? All right, let me give it to you Isaiah 4, verse 2. The branch of the Lord as God. Behold your God. He's going to sit on the throne of glory forever and ever as God. <laughs> and if you think that somebody's sitting beside him, he said, I looked at my right hand and the left hand. I said, that he said, there is, beside me, there is no God. There's only one throne. The one that's sitting on it is Jesus Christ. No wonder they said, behold your God. So all in the Old Testament, here they go. I'm talking about way back. The book of Exodus and the book of redemption. The book of Exodus is what Jesus is and what he's done for us. And way back, we have this picture, this type, and he's the anti-type, the fulfillment of it. Well, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Brother Mark's going to help me do some reading here. I still got a little ways to go. So just, just sit there calmly. Begin with verse 9. Brother Mark's going to read to us, all right? Now we're going to deal. We're going to move over here. We're moving from the encampments of the people. Now we're going to move into the outer enclosure of the outer court, which is this right here. It was 150 feet by 75 feet wide. Okay? Had a total of 60 pillars, 20 on each side, north and south side, east and west side, 20 total, total pillars. Are you with me? We went through and we showed you what was there. And now, Brother Mark, if you'll read, please. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side southward there shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of a hundred cubics long for one side. And the twenty pillars thereof and their twenty sockets shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side of, in length there shall be hangings of a hundred cubits long. And his twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, their pillars ten and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side, eastward, shall be 50 cubits. And the hangings of one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, their pillars three, their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings 15 cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. I and think I'll let you stop right there. Let's look at this outer enclosure here. Y'all see it? Beautiful white linen hangings there hallelujah is that beautiful about seven and a half feet high five cubits in height all hanging around this tabernacle structure itself going around 60 total total pillars set in sockets of brass the brass plates set upon the desert floor at the top there was a beautiful silver cap there was a cord that went from the silver hook or the silver circle down onto a brass stake that was nailed into the earth to uphold these pillars that was upholding the linen white hangings. Now, this speaks of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. So look, you get out of your little black tent, wake up in the morning. You turn your face toward the tabernacle. And when you turn and look at the tabernacle, you see the beautiful white linen hangings. 
your tent solid black. You want Song of Solomon says, black is the tents of Kedar. That's the bride. She comes out of her tent. Black tent. She leaves darkness behind. She leaves sin behind. The kingdom of darkness. The prince of the power of the air. The devil. She turns her back on all of that. She turns her back on the blackness of sin. Behind her is the blackness. Before her is the white and the glory of God over the tabernacle. Oh, but right here is where God dwells. And she wants to get inside and, and dwell with God. She wants to communicate with God. She wants to have fellowship with God. But the problem is, is that these hangings are too high. She can't look over them and she can't climb under them. So she goes around. Uh, she struggles and she tries to grope her way around this tabernacle. But she can't get in because the holiness of God has kept her out. She's a sinful person. He's holy. This speaks of the, the, the law requirements. It requires absolute perfection from you if you want to be saved. But look, you can't get in there by the works of the law because you were born a sinner. So the righteousness of God keeps you out. Well, some people say, well, I'll just live like Jesus and I'll be saved. No, Jesus' life condemns you. The law condemns you. Jesus' life condemns you. Never a man spake like this man. Never a man lived like that man. His life condemns you. So you go groping around the outside of it. Hallelujah. And what is that law going to lead you to? It's going to lead you to the only gate in the whole place. Right here. A gate that's 20 cubits wide, 30 feet wide. It's going to lead you to a gate. And all look at those pretty colors in there. That's the only way you're going to get in here is through the door right there. Are you with me today? But you know what you got to do? First thing, decision. You got to come up to that gate. And you got to say, well, the law condemns me. The life of Christ condemns me. But there's a way. He is the door. Jesus is not a way maker. He's not a way maker. He is the way. You don't go through Him, you're not going to get to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So, the first thing you got to do is you got to lift up this little old gate, you got to go underneath it. You with me? Give God praise. Before we get to that gate, though, let me tell you about these pillars. Look at them all standing straight up. Well, they're acacia wood, overlaid with brass, sit in, in brass plates with a cap of silver on the top. Where'd they come from? They came from the desert. Speaks of the humanity of Jesus Christ, also speaks of you and me. Where did we come from? We came from the desert of this world. All that was upon us before we got the blood applied to our lives and were born again was the judgment of God. But this is awesome. One day they walked up to that acacia wood, that gnarled, twisted, crooked, everlasting wood. It's so hard that insects can't even penetrate it. 
why they called it incorruptible wood. And they cut that tree down and they started cutting, cleaning it. Stand up, Brother Mark. They got their tools. He's pretty crooked. He's pretty crooked. We got to straighten this guy out. How are you here? See, these pillars, you and I, we were crooked. We were, some of you still are. Twisted in your heart. I mean, that wood was so, that wood was so twisted, it went to the very heart of the wood. So God said, the only value that this wood can be to me is if you got to cut it down first. So here you are, you're walking through life, and you're cool, man. You're the man. You know, you're the stupid. You see, I know flesh when I'm around flesh, man. I know ego when I'm around ego. You ain't a man. You're stupid. Walk through life, you're the man. All of a sudden, God gets your number. He, he takes the word. is laid to the root of the tree. He just, he cuts you down. You come under conviction in a church, a Holy Ghost church service. And before we know it, you're no longer walking in the world like you're the man. You're on your face. Crying out to God, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. The Apostle Paul, a religious Pharisee, full of religious pride. God cut him down to the ground. Paul said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, Paul. You're fighting me. You're resisting me. But I'm going to cut you down so I can bring you up. So the first thing he does, he cuts me down in repentance. I find out I need him. That means this world is not my source and my supply anymore. I don't live by the sap of this world. I live by the Holy Ghost. I no longer am nourished by the life of this world, the death of this world really, but by the life of Christ, the Spirit. But it's pretty neat. After he cut me down... Then he gets the planer out. <laughs> uh, cuts me down. I get baptized. Get the Holy Ghost. Oh, you know what he does then? He gets the tools out. You're crooked there. You're crooked there. I got to take some of you out of here. There's got to be more of me and less of you. See, that, let me tell you, that's why a lot of people don't hang in this church too long. Because they don't want to go through the... <laughs> and just like the Holy Ghost, the Lord had ministers or men that did this planning and did this work. He's got a five-fold ministry that's doing the same thing. But a lot of people don't want that. But if you're going to stand in his tabernacle, if you're going to be a part of his kingdom, you're going to have to go through the, the cutting and the, the shaping. 
That's so good. So that we were once in the world, man. All crooked, he cut us down, and he shaped us. Now we're standing there. Hallelujah. We're standing there with judgment under our feet. <laughs> Proud with redemption. Being held up and secured by a cord that goes from the top of the redemption down to the brass stake that comes halfway out of the earth. That's you and me right there. Isn't God good? See, you got to have something securing you. Because in the desert, the wind blows, man. I mean, it gets stormy and that old sand beats against you. And that old wind beats against you. So you got to have something holding you in security. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Notice this. This cord right here, Hosea 11, tells us that talks about being led with cords of love. So the cord right here is the love of God. Tied into a stake that's halfway in the ground, halfway out, which speaks of the death, but he didn't just die the death and go into the earth. He came up too. So he's dead, but he lives. He experienced the judgment of God and came up out of the graves. So I'm standing there and I'm upheld by his, I'm secure by his death, by his resurrection. He's experienced the judgment for me, judgments under my feet. I'm capped with a, crown, with a cap of redemption. Say redemption. Oh, isn't this beautiful? Romans 5 says this, where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. I've got judgment under my feet. I've got redemption on my head. Where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. And I stand secure in His love. I'm held up secure by His love. Isn't God good? Glory to God. It's all a picture of us. Well, let me, let me talk about the gate. Okay, Brother Mark, read. Keep reading. Okay, we're in Exodus 27. Amen. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. All right. That's good. This gate right here has got different colors in it. It's got blue. What's blue? Well, who's the gate first of all? Jesus is the door. John 10. Right? Well, here he is. Blue. He's the Lord from glory. The Lord of heaven. Purple. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Scarlet. He's the sacrificial lamb of God. The white. He is completely holy and righteous so that he could be all of those above. And he's upheld by four pillars. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Strong pillars. Hold it up the door. 
saying, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the door. He's the purple lion. He's the king. He's the scarlet ox. The sacrifice. He's the perfect man. The white. The white man. And John says, He's God. He's the blue. And you're struggling, and you're sick of your life, and you're sick of sin, and God's law condemns you, so the law's a schoolmaster to lead you to the door, and then you walk through the door. And the gospel's presented to you, his death, his burial, his resurrection for you, upholding Jesus Christ high. That's the gospel's. But you don't stop there. I say you don't stop at the door. You don't just look at the Gospels and say, wow, he's beautiful. He's purple. He's white. He's scarlet. He's blue. You do that, you're going to be lost. You got to go beyond the Gospels and you got to get into the book of Acts. And you got to repent. You got to be baptized. And you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Alter repentance, labor, water, baptism, going in the Holy of Holies and receive the Holy Ghost and become the Holy of Holies. So we have the Gospels, but they lead us to the book of Acts. Give God praise. See, all the types and the shadows are pointing to what Jesus did for us and who we are in Him. Y'all understand it. Go ahead, Brother Mark. Keep reading. Just finish the chat that please. All the pillars round about the court shall be with silver and their hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of brass the length of the court shall be a, a hundred cubits and the breadth fifty everywhere and the height five cubits of fine twined linen and their sockets of brass all the vessels of the tabernacle and all the service thereof and all the pins thereof and all the pins of the court shall be of brass isn't God good how many of y'all are in a desert world, man? I know the storms are beating against you. And the trials of life are coming against you. Where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. You stand secure in the love of God, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, judgment under your feet, redemption on your head. You see that? Doesn't matter what the storms do, you're going to stand there secure. I'm not holding myself up he's holding me up I'm not going to make it because I made it I'm going to make it because of him and you know what I, what I think is so awesome about this whole thing is that it wasn't just about the Jews because even a Gentile could bring their sacrifice, five sacrifices that were offered up unto God. Each Israelites would bring their sacrifice. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? All it speaks about the blood that shed the cross of Jesus, His redemption for us. But Leviticus, the Bible tells me, let me give you the verse because you'll want to read this. Because a lot of people think we study the tabernacle that only has to do with Israel. It doesn't. They were just the vessels. 
they were the ones to take this message out to the world. They were the ones to explain everything, how to get in the presence of God. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to reunite with you. He wants to rendezvous with you. He wants to love you. He wants to fellowship with you. They were given to tell everybody. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 8. The Bible tells us that the stranger could bring sacrifice to God. That means the Gentiles. So not just Israel. God didn't just have Israel in mind in the Old Testament. He had the whole world in mind. This tabernacle was to be a display of his redemption for the whole world to experience. Come on, Gentiles. Come on, strangers. Come on, bring your sacrifice. Go into the presence of God. He's not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the world. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to close with one last thing. We don't want to take lightly the blood of Jesus. We don't want to take lightly what he's done for us. Are you here? We don't want to take lightly the blood of these animals that were shed in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. We don't want to take it lightly. Amen? Look at this. Silver. Look at this silver. Everywhere you look, silver, silver, silver. Redemption, redemption, redemption. Where did they get this silver? Well, it came from the people, right? But specifically... Brother Mark, read this, and I'm going to close with this. Exodus chapter 30, begin with verse 11. Praise God. I'm sorry, let me say one thing. You know what I thank God? He helped me last night. Because I was going to teach you so much more, but I don't... We'd have been here all day. So he told me, I want you to go here, and that's about as much as you can do. Next week, we'll look at this brass altar. Awesome. I'm telling you, awesome. All right, Exodus 30. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Saying. Who said this? God. <laughs> Stop right there. Hey, you know what, Moses? You know what you are? You're just this construction superintendent. That's all you are. You're the construction superintendent. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to move on people by the Spirit of God, and you're going to do it. I'm going to show you a miniature tabernacle, and I want you to build it just like that. God told Moses, go ahead. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number. After their number, say number. Oh, stop right there. God's going to number the children of Israel. Have you ever thought about being numbered by God? See, each one of these children of Israel had a number. God put a number on their head. Not physically, but spiritually. He knew every one of them. So Moses, you number the children of Israel. You're number 100. You're number 101. And everybody had their number. You might have been number 10,000. You might have been number 1 million. But everybody that was God's had a number. God said, you're numbered among my people. You belong Have you ever thought about how awesome it is to belong to God? To be numbered among His people? Some of y'all are playing with toys. Oh, my. <laughs> Give God praise. Go ahead, read, brother. Say, are you numbered? 
You belong to him. Read, brother. Then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto uh, the Lord. If you're numbered, then you've got to bring a half shekel. Because you're numbered, I want something from you. I want a half shekel of silver from you. Hmm. Keep reading. Go ahead. Did you lose your place? Uh, just start. Okay. You can start with okay. verse 11 again if you want to. You're not too much far from the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. This they shall give, every one that passeth among them that are numbered, half a shekel. Half a shekel. Say half a shekel. Go ahead. After the shekel of, of the sanctuary. Amen. A shekel is 20 garas. You did good. And, a, and half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Uh-oh. Silver to atone for your soul? To redeem you? I thought the blood was the only thing that redeemed us. Said the shekel, half shekel of silver to atone for your soul. Redemption money. Keep going. And thou shalt take the, the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. He said, everybody that's numbered, you bring a half shekel. It's the redemption money. That's where they got the silver. Right here, that's where they got the silver for the tabernacle. Right in front of the tabernacles, this altar where blood was shed. Right in the front, right here, these pillars have brass footings, but behind them, they have silver footings. So what God is trying to show you is that don't forget how costly the sacrifice is. It's extremely costly. Don't take it lightly. It's costly. And he said this. He said, poor is not going to bring any more. And the rich are not going to bring any more. You can be nauseating, nauseatingly religious. You can be loaded with religion. Nauseating religious. Rich in, in your own eyes. God says you need redemption. You can be disgustingly moral. But you need redemption. The rich shall give no more. The nauseating, the religious, loaded religiously. And the morally disgusting, the poor, everybody's going to give the same. And they're all going to know how costly this redemption is. Never take your salvation lightly. Never take the work of Jesus Christ lightly. It costs tremendously to redeem you. God himself had to robe himself in flesh and come and be crucified on a cross. 
you can't have zeal for that, then you don't understand the costliness of the sacrifice by which you were purchased. He says, look at all the blood flowing of all these animals and remember the cost. You're numbered with my people based on the redemption that I have supplied. Let's stand. Father, I just worship you right now. And I thank you for your spirit, oh God. And I pray for your will to be done in my life. I pray for your will to be done in this congregation, Lord. I thank you for your awesome word, your awesome truth. We are your people. We're called by your name. We're secure in your love. Standing in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Fulfilled the half shekel by the blood of Jesus. Not redeemed with silver and gold. But with the precious blood. That Say with me the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That we might be cleansed from all sin. God forgive me for my relig being religious and nauseating to you in my self-righteousness. Dear Lord God, thank you Lord that you've forgiven me of my moral disgust. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus and fill me with your spirit today. You're working on us, God. You're stripping the flesh away from us. You're putting us under conviction. You're dealing with our lives. And we thank you for that today, God, because repentance is a gift. We thank you for conviction because conviction is the love of God in our lives. I pray, oh God, in these last days, in these last hours of time, just before your coming, I pray that we lift up our eyes for our redemption draws nigh. We get our eyes off the desert floor. Get our eyes on heaven. That we would live holy before you, God, pleasing in your sight. now shut in with you God because we've walked through the door and we're shut in into the righteousness of God like a, a caterpillar in a cocoon we have received your righteousness we are clothed with your righteousness in Revelation 19 you said to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints we thank you today, Lord, that we are enclosed in the outer enclosure in your righteousness, covered in your righteousness, redeemed by your blood, the deity of Jesus Christ overlaying us and living inside of us, the gold. I love you today, Lord. We lift up your banner. We lift you up. For you said, if I and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself 
We lift you up, God, today. In Jesus' name. We glorify you, Lord. And we thank you for all that you have done. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In Jesus' name. You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight. Please come praying early at 5.30 so we can have a move of God in our midst. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah.